0: And so we pick up with them leaving town. And so in verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Now, if you remember, Jesus told the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, but wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. And Pastor Jalisa, back in the fall, as we were looking earlier at Acts, she gave us this um, image of a mountain range. And when we know that we're on mission, we don't know how many of these mountain peaks and valleys. We just know we're going on a mission. And yet, when we get to the top of one struggle, and we feel like, okay, we've conquered the mountain, all of a sudden we see that, oh, my time on earth is still here and there's more to do. (laughs) And so there's the ups and downs. And so today we're going to, if you think of a sermon as a camera, we're going to job shadow, we're going to look at Paul and Silas and Timothy first. And so we're going to have the camera on them for a while. And we're going to learn by looking at their lives, how they were living this life on mission. And remember, Paul and Silas were commended to the grace of God in Acts 15 by the church. They were commended to the grace of God. So as we're looking at their ministry, we're watching for grace throughout, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but that picture of the bicycle and the path, like, okay, we're going on mission, And maybe in our minds we think, okay, we're going from here to there and we're expecting more like a straight, smooth path. But actually this um, image right below that bicyclist of where there's like these dips and valleys and there has to be like a chairlift and a ship to get them across and so forth. That's actually more representative of we, we face these obstacles along the way. Or maybe the picture of a roller coaster comes to mind as we read about Paul and Silas and Timothy and how they went to Thessalonica, and then all of a sudden there's the mob. And so maybe it feels more like a roller coaster. But Paul said these words in Romans 8. He said, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So we're looking for how that in all things... God is working for good. We're looking for grace through this story. And so as I kind of tried to chart out what this looks like, I, I see this, okay, they went into Thessalonica, and there's these converts. And then all of a sudden, there's the mob, take one. And oh, man, there we go down. And then, all right, we're going to Berea, and there's these converts there. And it's amazing, and maybe it's another mountaintop experience. And yet, here comes mob take two. They come from Thessalonica, and they come stirring up trouble. And so, I imagine, when I think about how that must have felt for Paul and the team, this is the graph that came in my mind. And I wonder if they had the question, what is God up to? What does it feel like when things are not going as planned? Maybe it feels like God's absent or that things are out of control. Anybody ever had these thoughts or wonderings? Yeah, I see a hand over there and a shaking heads. It's true that they're out of our control, but it's not true that it's out of God's control. He's still sitting on the throne. God's on the throne. And Elizabeth Elliot says this, God is God. Because he's God, he's worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. So I can find rest in him even though I don't understand what he's up to. Well, that's a nice quote. Who in the world is Elizabeth Elliot? And what does she know about trusting God when things are kind of on the roller coaster? Well, maybe you remember this, or maybe this is new information to you, but Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary, and she went down to Ecuador in South America, and then she ended up marrying another missionary who was there, Jim Elliot. Her husband, along with four other missionaries, were killed as they were trying to reach out and connect with a tribe that had a very savage reputation. They were murdered on January 1956 when their little daughter was 10 months old. All right? I think she's qualified to speak to us about trusting that God's in control, even though we do not, can't comprehend at all what is happening. It's easy, and it would be easy to give up. But for the Christian, we lean into God when times are hard and when they're confusing, as they were for Elizabeth Elliot, who's pictured in this picture with her little daughter, and also one of the sisters of the pilot, Rachel Saint, who's not pictured. But for these missionaries who were there, they were part of a team, and maybe you might call them the second, um, like the JV team, right? Because there's these these five men that were out on the front lines, but here's the JV team. Maybe we can think of si- Silas and Timothy as the JV team and Paul's out there. But then all of a sudden things change and the varsity is out and we're called up. And how does it feel when we don't understand what's going on? God gives persevering grace and um, in this. In my mind, this little curvature of like the Thessalonian church is planted and then suddenly they're sent away by the Thessalonian church because of the mob. And then they're in this place of literal dark. They're going at night and going to Berea. They're persevering and God gives the grace to persevere on mission. Teo Beals, one of his students, wrote this in their Um, first blog that mission is loving with a purpose the definition of mission loving with a purpose to make Christ known God gives grace to continue to love can you imagine keeping your heart open and being ready to go into Berea after you've just faced yet another mob and another rejection and yet God helps them with this transition They have hearts that are open and eager because when you think back about the good news of what Jesus has done for us as described by Pastor Dave, looking at the blood of Jesus and what he's done, we just have such good news of God's love and he changes our hearts to want to share that love with each one. And what an amazing thing that happens and what a gift of grace of God after being facing this mob in Thessalonica Is that they get the teacher, the teacher's dream. Like if you have teaching gifts, this is amazing when students are actually awake and eager and they're listening. They're paying attention and they're not the ones that are like, and do we have to read anything in between? Like, Actually, they're going, can we meet tomorrow and can we talk about this? And oh, by the way, I've got a question about what you ask about. And I'm going to email you in between because I've just got these things that are stirring up that I'm so excited about. And I want to learn more like this is the teacher's dream. I mean, what a beautiful, gracious thing of God to give Paul and the team, the Berean church who just were eager, eager to learn. I want to tell you that not only did Paul and the team, they were able to establish a new church, but for these women who were left widow and sister, whose brother had been killed, the Lord gave them open hearts to want to continue to, on mission, to love with a purpose. And so in God's sovereignty, he had already started that um, Rachel Saint, the sister of the pilot, had met one of the women that had left this tribe during an intertribal war the year before and had started to develop a strong friendship with her and was learning the language. You see, both the women were students of um, languages and were very eager to translate the Bible into this tribal language. And so what happens? But the Lord gives grace for Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint to connect with this woman and then through that woman the tribe invites them in and then they go with this little daughter into this tribe and they live and they learn the language and they learn the culture and then they translate the bible and in 9 years time they have the um the translation of one of the new testament books. I think it was um, Matthew or John or Mark. Mark, that's, all right, you know, third time charm. The gospel of Mark, they actually got translated. They started a church. The Lord opened people's hearts to receive the good news of Jesus. And actually what you see here is pastors, leaders in that church that are baptizing the children of the killed Pilate. So her niece and nephew were baptized by the tribal church leaders who had killed. And they had received forgiveness for their sins. And now they're baptizing. And God planted a church. I want to speak a word of encouragement to you. If you're seeking to follow the Lord and things are hard, I want to say, do not give up. What would have happened if Paul and Silas and Timothy had given up after Thessalonica and not gone to Berea? What would have happened if these female missionaries had given up and not gone to that tribe? Do not give up. Look for God's grace where you are right now. Do not give up. God manifests his grace in the high points and in the low points of our lives. And I want to talk about where I see God's grace in this passage. And it's in the second paragraph. It's um, verses 13 to 15. In some ways, I mean, there's no throwaway verses. But, you know, there's some that are kind of easier, like, oh, this is just transitioning us to what's happening next, and we don't pay as much attention. But I want to tell you what I see in God's grace. I want to say that these new believers, they left their community and escorted Paul away. They left their jobs. They left their families. It was on their own dime that they traveled with Paul. And it's a huge witness. Sometimes we can witness with words, and sometimes the church witnesses with actions. And these are actions that are actually saying, I'm part of this new kingdom, and my resources in my life and my time is surrendered fully to this king, King Jesus. And so they escort Paul, and it's a witness that their lives are all of a sudden oriented around the King Jesus. This is God's grace and a witness to the world. It's also God's grace to Paul as he's strengthened and encouraged by receiving the protection. Because as they went and escorted him, they're protecting Paul. He's not out traveling alone, but he's protected He's encouraged. How many of you have needed encouragement when things, when you were hitting a downtime, you needed somebody to walk alongside you. This is grace. This is God's grace in those times that are in the valley seasons of our lives. This body of Christ, the witness of the body, the community, the extravagant hospitality of escorting him all the way to his next destination, which I want to show you a map. And if you can see, Thessalonica and Berea are up here to the top in Macedonia. And they're bringing him all the way down to Athens. That's about 200 miles. Now, some people think he went by ship and others believe he went by land. And they just said, we're going to take him to the coast to kind of throw people off of where they were really going. 200 miles. Like from here to Big Rapids is about 50 miles. Think about, where's 200 miles? Is that Ann Arbor? I don't know. Where is Than... The border is uh, 190. Okay, the border of Michigan's 190 miles. Can you imagine going by foot? Mm. We're going to walk with him all the way there. This is commitment, folks. This is like extravagant community. This is the way the Lord's calling us to walk with one another when we're in those valley seasons. And I want to show you something else, that in this valley, what seems like such a difficult time, and it was... Um, John Calvin says this was definitely demonic in his commentary on this. He says this, these people from Thessalonica that came over to Berea to stir up the mob, this was demonically inspired. And he said, we may or may not be facing persecution or challenges, but he says the demon is after us. Satan is after the Christians and he'll come with discouragement. If it isn't by a physical fight, he'll come with discouragement. Or he said, it'll come by domestical disputes, which I think he means like stirs up trouble at home. Right? So some way or another, the enemy is trying to discourage us from this mission of making Jesus known and showing his love. And yet look what happens in all things. God's working together for good. Actually, the gospel is spreading. All right. It could have stopped in Thessalonica and just built a nice church there. But now, no, there's now a church in Thessalonica and Berea. And he's going further. He's going to Athens. And so the word of God is spreading. The mission is advancing. So even when it seems difficult, God is active and he's moving. If we can take time to see it, and sometimes we only see it in retrospect. And so we have to believe in the moment God's in this thing. He's, he's not left me. He's not left me. There's purpose. And Paul does not go it alone. He's the senior partner. And you could say, well, he could have been down there and thought he could do it and just leave the others up there. But I want to show you something else that's beautiful in grace is that he's committed to team. Paul doesn't, he's not arrogant and think, well, I can just do this myself as soon as he gets there, he turns around and says to those people, as you're going back, send my team, send my teammates with me, send them to join me. And so this, too, friends, is God's grace. Now, I, I've been having the camera on Paul and the team. I'm turning the camera now to the church in Berea. And I want to say, what happened to the church in Berea? Because we don't see much of it after this a little bit in Acts 20, and then beyond that, we don't know. And so some people think, well, must be that that wasn't very effective ministry. But in my research, I want to tell you what I saw and what I found is that the Berean church continued to hold their ground and grow, that God plants us in places that become strategic, and the Berean church, in centuries later, became one of the most influential cities Isn't it beautiful that God planted a church there because he was getting ready to do something? We don't know what God's going to do in Cedar Springs. Maybe it's highly strategic that a new church is being planted up there. I believe it is. All right? There were, by the 12th century, there were several beautiful churches that had frescoes. There were 37 churches of that period that have been identified. But scholars believe that more than 100 churches existed. How is it possible that from one little church that a hundred churches all of a sudden have grown? Think about this. What if we as one little church and all of a sudden God used us to plant? 100 churches, 100 churches. Think about that. I mean, when we just read it and maybe the numbers don't really compute, but think about this. Those of you who are part of this church, what if God wanted to use us to plant a hundred churches. It's possible. This. Picture that I've got up there. Is in the city today. And there's two murals on there. One is Paul. In the Macedonian vision that he had. And the other is Paul teaching. And the three steps. They believe are the synagogue steps. That he actually stood and taught on. It's still today. Historical. God has worked and he moves and he's given his grace to plant a church that will hold their own and grow. How is that possible? How is it possible? And I think it's this. Our word tells us they were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians. A more noble character. Well, what would the qualities of a more noble character be? They eagerly received the word. That means they embraced it and they wanted to make it their own. And they examined the word. That word examine is only used one time in the New Testament. That means pay attention, pay attention. What are they doing? They're carefully looking at it just like a legal court system. They're looking at it that carefully because it's the word of God that's the true witness. It's the word of God that's the eyewitness. And they're saying, does this message line up? With God's word. And friends, that's what we have to do. Every time we hear a message, we don't need to look at it with skepticism, but we need to go right back to God's word and say, does it line up with this? Because this is truth. And so they eagerly are looking through all the Old Testament prophecies and they're saying, this Jesus that they're talking about He is the king. He was prophesied and we believe it and we accept this. And so they were of a more noble character. You notice that in Thessalonica, Paul was reasoning with them on the Sabbath. So once a week they were coming. What was happening in Berea? Every day they were coming. Every day they were examining the scriptures together. They were of a more noble character, more noble character. There's another place in scripture that talks about a more noble character and it's Proverbs 31 where it talks about a woman and it it personifies wisdom. She's worth, her value is like rubies. It's like gems. Like her value is so amazing. It's a husband and a wife, the value to the husband of the wife who's got this wisdom and the way that she lives out her life. Jesus is our husband the church is his bride. What if we, if he looks at us like a gem, what if he says, oh, you are of a more noble character. What if he looks at us, church, Gold Avenue, and says, you, you church, you are my bride and you're my, you've are my. you got this noble character. You love my word. You're examining it. You're learning about me. You're studying me because you love me. You're showing me your love by being in your word. Day by day, you're in my word. You're studying it. You're learning it. Why? Because you don't want to sin against me. Why? Because you love me. Why? Because you're forgiven of your sins. Friends, we are invited. We are called. I believe he's calling Gold Avenue Church to be a church of a more noble character. Because he loves this world and he wants to use this church to reach out with the love of Christ and point people to Jesus. And I'm asking you today, will you accept that call? Will you accept that identity? Will you live into it? And will you say, this year, I want to live into this identity of a more noble character. The discipleship team has given you a tool in your in your worship folder, daily readings, some questions to think about, things that you could discuss together. Some of you have been talking about wanting to see more Bible studies. Hallelujah. He's wanting us to be a church of more noble character. Some of you are saying, I just need more. I need to be together with other people, reading the word and understanding it. I want you to know that everybody that was converted in these cities, they weren't already real familiar with scripture. To be more noble doesn't mean you already know a lot. It means you're an eager learner that you want to learn. And today I'm going to ask you, if you're willing to learn, if you are a person that says, I want to show my love back to Jesus by being a student of his word this year, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now, right where you are, to stand up and say, I want to be a person of more noble character. I want to show Jesus my love. The Lord sees you. And the Lord sees us. And it's his grace, friends that's causing this stir in our hearts right now. And so let's pray as the worship team comes. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that we would taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to live by your word and that it would be our very life and our lifeline. And Lord, I pray that you would move us to make you known and to prepare us to share the good news with others. Through this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.